0: Hello, and welcome to Shame Spiral. I'm Ellie Kremendahl, a psychotherapist turned comedian, and this is the podcast where I low-key exploit my therapy background to interview guests about all things shame. I was so excited to spiral out this week with Mara Wilson. Mara is a writer and an actor. I first encountered Mara, like many of you, I'm sure, when she was a tiny little baby Charming the hell out of everyone in films like Mrs. Doubtfire, Matilda, and Miracle on 34th Street. Mara is all grown up now and is an incredible writer. She's published a couple novels. Her recent novel is actually an audiobook available on Scribd. That's S C R I B D. It's called Good Girls Don't. She wrote it and she narrates it. So go check that out. She also has a sub stack she regularly posts to called Shent We Tell the Vicar. And you can find everything that she's up to on her Instagram. It's Mara Wilson. And just click on her little link tree there and you get all the Mara Wilson goodness. She was so fun to talk to. She's such an interesting person, such a brilliant writer. I really enjoyed our conversation. So, I want to get into it. Let's just do a quick little shame spiral check-in from me. It's not long or elaborate or maybe all that interesting, but it but it needs to be said. My current shame spiral is about how I have a new niece. Her name is Zoe. My sister had her a month ago maybe, almost a month ago. And I haven't met her yet. I have not gone to Boston, outside of Boston, to go meet her. And it's not because I haven't wanted to. I want to constantly. I think about it 20 times a day. But it's because I have been so insanely busy. And I know that sounds like an excuse, or maybe I'm just judging myself really harshly. But I truly have not been able to get to Boston to go meet my little niece and to be there for my little sister. And I'm just having really big, big sister, like bad, big sister feelings of shame. And I don't know. That's it. I really want to meet her. Zoe, I am coming for you soon. I promise. And that is all I'm going to say for today. I'm so excited to get into this episode with you. Oh, and there's one more thing I really want to share this week, this upcoming Sunday, July 23rd, the queer monthly stand up comedy show that I run in Brooklyn at Littlefield is having our next show. It's called Gay Shame. We have an incredible lineup. Every single person on this lineup is just a killer, an incredible stand-up comedian. Please come. Tickets are available on my Instagram at Ellie Kremendahl and Twitter, same handle, or you can find the show at Gay Shame Comedy, both of those places. I would so love to see you there. And that is all I have for today. So let's get into it. Without further ado, let's start spiraling with Mara Wilson. Shame, burning in my brain, always in a frame, and I've only myself to blame. Shame, wishing I could forget my name, and crawl back up from where I came. I'm going down the spiral once again. The shame spiral. So how do you feel right now knowing that we're about to talk about your shame? I know you're someone who has talked a lot about shame, but in this moment.
1: I am. And I thought a lot about what I wanted to talk about. And the story that I'm going to talk about today is actually kind of funny, but it gets at the heart of a lot of insecurities, I think, because this wasn't just like one thing that happened. It was like a saga. And it was based around somebody who I don't know even knows that I exist mm. and probably doesn't care very much. And it, it wasn't a big deal, but it all got blown out of proportion. Oh. It's something that, you know, it it spiraled into other things. And then it's funny because then it becomes a sort of meta commentary because then I told this story to somebody else and they made me feel shameful for even sharing that story. Oh my god. And that's led to actually I think kind of a rift between me and this person and I don't know if that person knows <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that how I feel about this and I'm not quite sure how to tell them. Or if I should tell them, you know, that they really hurt my feelings and made me feel terrible or what.
0: Like, are you trying to investigate what the meaning is for you of telling them or not telling them?
1: Well, it, it, it's yeah, I, I'm trying to do that. I don't want to I don't want to ruin a friendship. And I'm also taking into context where they were in their life at that time. I think that's something that I'm trying to do more of because I Like you know, basically like when I turned 30, my body stopped working and all of a sudden it was stupid little things at first, like lactose intolerance, but then suddenly it was, oh, you have, uh, you have this condition called postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Oh, you have endometriosis. Oh, you have all of these things. Oh, you have this and you have that, and you need to take care of this. And, and I was just like, oh my gosh, my body is falling apart. And you know, that takes a toll on mental health as well. But I also mm-hmm. think that, you know, so so I, I I also know that, like, where they were in their life at the time and the things they were dealing with is something that, you know, makes me makes me kind of, I don't know, makes me kind of realize, you know, and also this is a very, like, well, it makes me realize, I'm like, is it even worth it to do this, you know? And I do think that I'm a person who holds on to grudges, who holds on to shame, who holds on to things mm-hmm. so much, like... Uh, I don't believe in psychics, but my sister, I think, made me talk. Somebody made me talk to a psychic at one point. And when I mentioned having endometriosis, she was like, you know, endometriosis is really all about holding on to things that you need to get rid of. And I was like, whoa, okay." And I was like, "Okay, so you're not. And she wasn't saying, like, you're causing yourself to have endometriosis, you know, by this. She wasn't saying that, but she was saying, you know, that is kind of a metaphor for life. And I was like, oh, Mm. yeah, that is actually something for me. I I think that is actually an issue for me. So uh, but also this is a very quintessentially L.A. story. And it also has to do a lot with how I was raised and the uh, Mm. industry in which I was raised.
0: I feel like we should just start with your story because I feel like we're we're ready. Let's go.
1: So so a little bit of context on me and how I grew up. Uh, I mean, I am a chronic and, and hopeless oversharer, uh, but uh, a little bit about me is I had a Jewish mother, a Catholic father, and, and a Catholic Filipino stepmother. So a lot of strict parenting and a lot of guilt and a lot mm-hmm. of shame. Which I think I've heard people say that guilt and shame are two different things. Guilt is an internal thing. Shame is an external thing. I don't know if I can entirely agree with that. Perhaps on a societal level it is. But um, another thing about me is I grew up 15 minutes away, 10 minutes away from Hollywood. My dad worked for KTLA, which was the local WB and CW affiliate. Now it's the Netflix lot. You know, it's it's film and TV were my childhood. I grew up in Burbank, which is home to NBC Studios, so The Tonight Show and the WB and Disney and eventually Nickelodeon Animation and Cartoon Network Animation. So we grew up with like friends' parents who worked for Disney who did graphic design for one company or another. And it wasn't like a people don't really understand how the entertainment industry works, I think, like they think it's more like The Idol, whereas I think it's a little bit more like Veep.
0: <laughs> How like, so?
1: Well, there's a lot of just, like, incompetence, and there's a lot of people in these low-level roles, and they all kind of know that it's bullshit, but they're still doing it. And there's people who are, mm-hmm. like, trying to get ahead and trying to get power, but there's also people who are just like, uh, you know, who are just like, nope, this is what I do, this is, this is part of it. You know, like my dad... My dad worked in TV for years and still does, but he never really watched TV. He would fall asleep in front Mm. of the TV if he even attempted to watch it. And there's a lot of people like Burbank has Burbank here has in Burbank, you are not allowed to open a tattoo parlor, but they are like 10 gun stores. So, wow. And yeah, and this is 10 minutes away from Hollywood, 15 minutes away from Hollywood. So, and there are a lot of people there who are just like parents who are like working as editors working as transcribers, Mm -hmm. working as people who are doing these like little jobs. So that said, I don't really get phased by, by like meeting famous people. So that is part of the reason why this next story, this story is so embarrassing to me. Mm -hmm. So when I first moved back to LA, there was somebody whose work I really liked. And they invited me to a party for their birthday. I'd never met them in person. i just talked to them on Twitter. And it's strange to me now that, like, I made friends on Twitter and I, like, dated people on Twitter. And when Twitter was at its height, I mean, I had, like, Regina Specter, I think, in my mentions, being like, hey, do you want to hang out with, like, a bunch of, like, dolphin emojis and shit? Like, <laughs> I had, I was followed <laughs> by, like, my, you know, I was, I was, like... I was followed by, like, the coolest people and I was doing these things and it was... And I look back at it now and that's another thing that I feel a lot of shame about because I definitely overshared and I also think that Twitter rewarded us for being, like, mean to people and, like, dunking on people. Mm-hmm. And I personally think that, like, you know, it, it made us feel like like you can have the same opinions as somebody and still fucking hate them and still fucking not yeah. get along with them. You know? Like... um. I, I, you know, I know people who I differ from politically, but we share the same values somehow. It's just, mm. we might disagree on how exactly to solve the problems. We see the same problems, but we disagree on how to solve them. Things yeah. like that. But also, or I, and I think that's because, you know, I, and this is a whole tangent that I, but I've been telling this to everybody lately, because I think it's important. I think that If you really know somebody, if you really like them, if you've built a rapport with them, if you built trust with them, then you are going to forgive them for when they don't exactly have your ideological, you know, or opinion things. And I'm not saying like we need to like go out and befriend homophobes or like racists Mm -hmm. or things like that. Like that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, you know, these minute differences, it becomes sort of the narcissism of small differences, when we see that in like people around us that we know in real life and we love and we trust we're more likely to forgive but on the internet we have this sort of we have parasocial relationships with everybody because we've built up what they're like in our heads and mm-hmm. so and and we haven't communicated with them in person we haven't seen their body language we haven't seen how they treat their friends how they treat their family we don't know the context of their health their mental health their trauma their education you know poverty all, all of these things so we just we react to their reactions and we develop these these things with them. So it's it's, you know, it's a it's a house of sand and fog. It's a million different metaphors that I'm mixing, but Mm -hmm. it all falls apart. So I I think that and people go very quickly from fucking loving somebody really hard to to not liking them. And I I think that also ties in because it's the nature of fame and the nature of who's famous and who's not and why and and what we think about them. And that kind of ties into this story. So I'm invited to this famous, you know, or or pretty well known person. It's a person whose work I like a lot. They invite me to their birthday and I go there and I stopped drinking a couple of years ago, but this was shortly before I stopped drinking. And I've always been a bit of a lightweight. I never like binge drank or anything. I've never blacked out, but you know, one or two, I'm five feet tall, you know, (sighs) five feet tall on SSRIs, you know, probably not gonna gonna hold it very well. Yeah. So (laughs) they're trying to introduce me to they're like, they're like, and I think they're like, kind of trying to flirt with me, but they're also like a little drunk. So, you know, and, and, uh, cause it's their birthday and they're like, do you want to meet, do you want to meet anybody here? And I was like, uh, and they were like, I think you want to meet this person. Don't you famously introverted celebrity, Um, but I am a big fan of, uh, and I'm a very big fan of, of, of them and their work. And, uh, I think a lot of people who, uh, fit my adjectives, let's say, would also be a big fan of them. Um, fit my, fit my personality profile and my lifestyle would be a big fan of them. So (laughs) I go over, but they are famously introverted and, and, you know, kind of awkward And, you know, the birthday, you know, the birthday person is like, you know, Mara, this is so-and-so, so-and-so, this is Mara. And I have always been cool when meeting celebrities because I've done it my whole life. You know, I met the people who were on the morning news when I was, you know, four, because that was what my dad worked on. I I've met, you know, I'm I met Queen Elizabeth you know, years before she died. I sang at the White House. I didn't meet the president, but I think my brothers did. But my dad hated Clinton. So it was kind of uh, not that exciting. Uh, and for them, uh, I I met, I, I've met like all kinds of famous people. I've met people who were, you know, my idols, who were my favorite movies. I met Gwen Stefani when I was nine years old, 10 years old. And I was a Southern Californian and no doubt was everything to me. Uh I've met everybody, but for some reason that night I blurted out to them, I'm a big fan. And they, who are famously introverted, shrugged away from me. Like I had just told them, like, you know, like I had just shoved something in their face that was disgusting. And they like shrank away from me. And I felt immediately awful and terrible because I know that I had made them uncomfortable because they expected to go to this party and be with friends. And and I was and, and like, I think years ago, I would have been like, oh, my God, how rude. But I think that I think that this is something I think that maybe they're a socially anxious person. And I think that probably they wanted to relax with their friends. And I can personally say, having been a person who's somewhat famous uh, or has been somewhat famous at some point when you're not expecting it and people like it, it's like it's like seeing your ex when like you don't have mm-hmm. makeup on. You know, that's what it feels mm. like when you get recognized. It's like, oh God, this is happening now. You know, or or like being yeah. called on in class when like you don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. So they like shrug away, like I just told them something. Like they're trying to protect themselves from me. And the person they like, the the person that they like, like curl away and curl up into. And I don't even know how they knew each other, but it was John Hamm. So. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so I really like Mad Men. Um, my fam i don't know why—for some reason, my family and I really loved Mad Men. Um, it- it's nothing like our lives, although I will say that uh, my grandparents are kind of like like when people talk about like how fucked up our families are. I always say, imagine Ginsburg from Mad Men married uh, Tony Soprano's mom, and you have my maternal grandmother and grandfather. Oh my God. That's such yeah, a funny you have, combo. Oh yeah. You have a you have a, you know, a, a genius who struggles with psychosis. And you have a uh an artistic genius who struggles with with severe mental illness. And you have a uh, uh a woman with uh you know untreated personality disorder, and you have my grandparents. So <sighs> but I felt humiliated because I did, I was like, oh, this was like a breach of etiquette that I did. This was really embarrassing. So like a week or two later, my sister and I are in a restaurant in L.A. Do you live in L.A.? No, I live in New York. So we were at Little Doms, which is like, I don't know why, because like the food is okay, the food is good, but like it is like a celebrity hotspot. And I always see people that are famous there. I don't know what it is, but like everybody hangs out there. My sister and I went there once and my sister is like my best friend. We hang out all the time. And we were there, and I'm eating like this giant plate of spinach. And I said to her, "You know, this was when I'd first moved back to l a, so I hadn't experienced the the thing of Little Doms yet. I said to her, "You know, people always say that there's celebrities here, but I haven't seen any." And right at that moment, John Ham walks in. And I know Mad Men is my sister's favorite show. And I'm seeing John Ham again. And so I turn to Anna and I say, "Anna, John Ham is here." And she goes, Oh my God, you have spinach in your teeth. So after this, John Ham becomes kind of a shorthand for me embarrassing myself. <laughs> oh my God. So from then on, anytime I do something stupid, anytime like. You know, I'm out with my sister and there's toilet paper on my shoe, or like I bump into a tree, or I I, I burp in front of somebody cute or something. Anna looks around and goes, Where's John Ham? So this becomes an ongoing thing. Where's John Ham? If I were more famous, I would be on fucking Conan or something, R.I.P. Conan's show. I would be on some tonight show <laughs> and they would bring out John Ham. You know, this is this would yeah. be my story there. So Probably. um so this becomes a thing, but I, I get embarrassed because I keep thinking back to that meeting the celebrity that I really liked, who shall remain anonymous, and and how I embarrassed myself in front of them and, and how that's something that bothers me because I'm somebody who prides myself on not being phased by celebrities, not caring mm-hmm. about these things, seeing these people as people, separating the art from the artist, being like they're talented, but that doesn't mean that they're like a person that you love and, you know, a person that you know personally. Uh, and then I think it was that summer, I go to a Smokey Robinson concert with my friends and Motown, Motown is my shit. I love it all day. I mean, my, my mother, my mother was, uh, something I could listen to it all day. My, my mom, you know, grew up in the Midwest in the sixties. So it was, you know, kind of her big thing too, so mm-hmm. that was what I grew up listening to. And we, we go to see Smokey Robinson who, you know, made wrote, you know, the way you do the things you do for the temptations and performed, you know, tears of a clown and, uh, and uh, tracks of my tears and all of these great songs, like all the songs you hear in Vietnam movies he made. Mm-hmm. So we go yeah. there, but you know, he's, he's getting up there in years, but I'm like, he, he's still very like confident on stage. You know, he's still very, you know, he's cause he's been performing so long. So we go afterwards. My friends and I are like, "Oh, let's go get like a drink or some food." It's pretty late. My friends are like, "Well, we're at the Greek. Let's just walk down to Little Dom's. It's close." I I go there and I look in, and John Hamm is there again, but he's sitting with oh, Edgar Wright, who I knew another person I know through Twitter. Uh, you know, Edgar Wright's a director, and I go there and I'm like, "Hi, hey, Edgar," and I introduce myself to John Hamm, and and I'm like, you know, polite about it and and nice about it. And I'm like, yeah, I just came from a Smokey Robinson concert. He was amazing. I, you know, I can't believe that he's like, I don't know if I said it as bluntly as this, but I was like, I can't believe he's like, so old and like still sexy. And then it suddenly dawns on me that the person they're sitting across the table from is Warren Beatty. What the fuck? And (laughs) this is crazy. Yeah. And if there's one person who doesn't want to hear you're old and not, you know, being old isn't sexy, it's probably Warren Beatty. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The the man who was a sex symbol for, what, 50 years? And so I just go home, I go back and and I hang my head in shame and I'm like, oh my God, this is really embarrassing. And I tell my friends and they all laugh at me. And my sister says, I can't believe you embarrassed yourself in front of John Hamm again. Yeah. Although John Hamm's like whole persona I- outside of Mad Men is that he's just like a normal guy who like doesn't give a shit. Like he's not Don Draper. He's not a judgmental person. He's just some guy. He's just a dude from yeah. the Midwest. So like it's not that big of a deal, but it is funny that it is an ongoing thing. So yes. I feel shame about this situation, you know, but I feel it in a way where I'm able to tell somebody about it and we laugh about it. But then comes the sort of, actually, I was going to say there's two codas at the end. One is that I actually worked with that famously introverted person recently. And uh, I don't think they ever recall meeting me, which is a relief. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) That's the best outcome. (laughs) But I told this story to a friend. And the friend had recently had a baby. And uh, or rather their partner had a baby, um, their spouse had a baby, but we were talking and I wanted to tell them a funny story, you know, so because they just had a child, they're exhausted. I think like their spouse, like threw their back out after having a baby. It was like it, it, And so it was exhausting. And there's no real support system for anybody who had a child in this country. So, or, yeah. or is, you know, there's no maternally, there's no parental leave, there's no guaranteed anything. And we don't value extended families and social ties the way that like people in a lot of other countries do. And we don't have as solid communities. So it's hard. It's really hard to be a parent. And I know so many mm-hmm. people who are very lonely parents who are just struggling. So I go over to their house. And I start telling them this story. And I want to preface it by saying that this person is one of the most successful people I know. They own multiple homes. They are somebody who has made a lot of money from the things they made, has a huge fan base and is very successful. They have a wonderful spouse. Basically, they have the kind of life that I would like to have for myself, where they're not like recognizable on the street necessarily, but they have a huge fan base. They are critically acclaimed. They are very popular with people. They are able to make money off their art full time and Mm -hmm. have a wonderful spouse and a kid and Mm -hmm. also travel a lot if they feel like it. Like they have what I consider like is the ideal life. So I start telling this story about all these things and eventually they interrupt me and they say, Mara, this is the least relatable story I've ever heard. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, you're going on about meeting John Hamm and Edgar Wright and Warren Beatty and this other famous person that, you know, is is clearly very important to you. This is the least relatable story I've ever heard. You're going on and on and like name dropping and talking about meeting celebrities. So I completely shut up. And Mm -hmm. I feel like, oh my God, I have, it felt almost like going against like the sin of how I grew up because how I grew up was you do not make a big deal about famous people in any way. You do not make a big deal about anybody who's an artist, even if there's somebody whose work you really like. You also, you leave them be. And also, this was another thing for my parents, you never name drop, and you never talk about being famous or boast about being famous. And I think this is probably because my mom's whole family had kind of a narcissistic, grandiose streak, so... She would like shut that down immediately in me. So if I were a kid and I were in a movie and I would be like, I'm so cool. I'm in movies. My mom would be like, no, you're not shut the fuck up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You're not anybody special. You're just a kid. This is just a fun experience that you're having. You're fine. So that was something that I feel deep shame about. So I felt like I had sort of doubly sinned because I had talked about celebrities like they were different than you know regular people i had talked about invading their privacy invading their space and i had talked about you know i guess triply you know shamed and i had bragged about this in a way that was apparently not very relatable to somebody even though they are the most successful person i know yeah so after that i got very quiet and they mentioned going to Japan and they talked about how a friend of theirs like had a pet die recently and they were like yeah maybe we'll get one of those purebred you know cats or dogs for them in Japan and i said okay now who's being unrelatable mm-hmm. <laughs> which was mean of me and then i felt shame for doing that <laughs> and i kind of went home early after that because i felt really bummed and really sad yeah. so And this is something that I've been living with for like the past year or two. I keep thinking about it. And I also am like, well, where do I go from here? Do I do I talk to them about it and say, hey, I'm really sorry I wasn't trying to name drop. I wasn't trying to show you up. Do I say, hey, that was kind of rude of you, especially considering you have the exact kind of life that I want. And I don't think you really appreciate or understand that. Do I just completely let it go, which is what I've been doing now, although clearly I'm still holding on to it? Or do I talk about it on a podcast? (laughs) Obviously, D. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh, man, Mara, the whole narrative that you wove, which I really appreciate the detail because i felt like you really let me and then the listeners to like live it with you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Also, i think there might have been another night that i met John Ham at a party or something oh my and God. my sister had spinach in her teeth. Stop. So, so weird. I know. It's super weird. And John Ham has no fucking idea who i am. John Ham doesn't care about me. And <laughs> but, and but, i will say but that he's Anna, a character in your life. <laughs> yeah, he but he is. But he is. This is some five people you that. meet in heaven shit. <laughs> it really is. Oh,
0: oh, but what I was going to say is that the whole narrative is so deeply relatable. You know, Thank it's you. so funny. It's so paradoxical because it's just like the humiliation and the shame. And the and and I mean, I'm imagining, well, and then the shame about the shame, right? Yes. And I'm imagining that part of what was so painful in that interaction with your friend was that you were offering it because you were connecting to the relatable the universal human element of it it doesn't really matter that yeah. it involves all these famous people that's like a fun bow on it but yeah. it's about like feeling like you are wrong and bad and you have done these, yeah like, egregious things
1: you messed up and it's it's you know you messed up and you know in the case of like that, that you know, famously introverted celebrity, you messed up in front of somebody you think is cool. You know, it's the the, the middle school story yeah. of, you know, embarrassing yourself in front of your crush. <sighs> so I would never make a big deal about famous people that I met when I was a kid or something. I would, you know, and I would just be like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I met, oh, yeah, this happened when, like, I met Danny DeVito. And oh, this happened when, you know, oh, yeah, Robin Williams said that to me, blah, blah, blah. And then... I was talking to a friend of mine. I I went away to an arts boarding school when I was a teenager, paid my own way there, absolutely loved it. And I was talking to one girl there and she was like, when I first met you, I thought that you were kind of, you know, you were kind of snobby. And I was like, oh, really? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to come across that way. And she's like, well, it was just like you were talking about these celebrities, like it was no big deal. And I was like, oh. So I was trying to come across as like, oh, don't worry about it. It was, yeah, I know these people, but it's not a big deal. Who cares? And she mm-hmm. was like, she was hearing it as, I went to Danny DeVito's New Year's party.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, I I saw oh Courtney Love and Lucy Lou there, you know, instead yeah. of just just like, you know, in that sort of, you grew up in New York, you grew up in LA kind of way where it's just like, or you, you live in these places and it's just like, who gives a shit,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's all such a straight jacket. Because it's yeah. like, you're trying to, to you know, curate some sort of abstract way of being that will make you good and not too big and a pr- just some perfect level of like, correct. And it's like, yeah all that contorting. It's also that sounds so stressful and so anxiety provoking. And like, according to whom? Like, who's setting up those parameters, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I don't I, I don't know. And I think that different people have different reactions. I mean, I think about this because I, I recently wrote, you know, a, a short book about shame and and shame and anxiety and like feeling like you need to be a good girl and how, in my opinion, I, I call it like the bitch paradox or the bitch cycle where mm. because most people I know that were called bitch in their life were really trying to be good. We're really trying to accomplish something or we're really trying to be perfect. they, They put a lot of pressure on themselves, but they inevitably couldn't please anybody. And then they got angry because they couldn't please anybody. And because they were angry, people labeled them a bitch. And that was definitely what it was for me. And it was this sort of like, well, fuck everyone. Okay, I can't please you. Well, then fuck everyone. And, you know, it might not be the most mature response, but that's what I did in middle school and high school and college. And it was funny because I realized later that nobody saw me as a mean girl, but people saw me as an angry girl. Mm -hmm. And there is a difference, I think. Mean is mean is, uh, you know mean is premeditated murder (laughs) anger is manslaughter i guess lashing out is manslaughter you're still hurting somebody right but But it's more like they're in the way yeah exactly (laughs) it's not seen as they're in your path of rage shame spiral Hello, Shame
0: Spiral listeners. This is your humble audio engineer, Sarah Gabrielli, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast, Cruising. Cruising is about my road trip to each of the last lesbian bars in the U.S. Did you know that there are less than 25 left in the entire country? Each episode of Cruising is a standalone documentary about one of the bars on our trip, You'll meet charming
1: characters. I literally didn't know I was gay. I didn't know. I had no idea. I called myself dopey, like I was in line and I was just like, doop 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 -doop," going through life. You'll learn about queer history. All these nuns would come out on roller skates and water guns, do all this crazy stuff, jump back in the van and drive off. And we'll explore some pretty big questions.
0: How would you define lesbian bar in 2021 like what do you think the parameters are for getting on this list of 20 bars that are left to learn more stream season one of cruising wherever you get your podcasts i feel like this is so fascinating and and true like the sort of suppression explosion cycle i totally relate to that like i was like very eldest daughter jewish good Um, girl totally like S- sculpted myself through high school like my whole childhood through high school to be what I was taking on as like what I could sense were my parents' expectations off a, lo- yeah. a lot implicit but some explicit and then in college and probably for like a good chunk of my 20s I just like I went rogue in a really insane way I mean I like became yeah. an alcoholic now I'm in recovery I was just yeah. like raging out and it was totally it was a direct it was secondary to everything that had come before
1: you know well i think we also look for ways to control our lives or for me i'd usually had people controlling my life i had my mother who was a very strong figure and even after she died we would have you know nannies and babysitters who were very strong figures in in our lives and then i had I had my stepmother, who was also very strong. I mean, people will sometimes be like, didn't you have fun as like a kid, as a teenager? And I say, I had a Jewish mother and an Asian mother. <laughs> oh, my God. There was a lot of expectation. <laughs> That's so much. That's too yeah. much. <laughs> and, and a lot of expectation and a lot of obligation and a lot of, you know. And and it was it was hard. And when I went away to boarding school, you know, I knew people. Like, I remember meeting a girl there who... She was like, yeah, I'm probably she went home every weekend and she's like, yeah, I think I'm just going to go home. I don't really like it here. And I was like, oh, you and I was like, really? I love it here. She's like, well, back home, I basically get to do whatever I want. My parents, Mm. you know, I, I can do whatever I want. I can like I can go to like a punk show if I want to. I can like go hang out with my friends if I want to. I can go to parties. I can do all these things. And I was like, oh, I said, I actually have way more freedom here. And this was a place where, you know. We were supposed to have lights out by 1130. They would turn off the phones after a certain time because we all had wired phones in those days. You mm-hmm. know, you you had you know, if you had a cell phone, they could confiscate it. And you had a person there who was your advisor, who was essentially like your parent away from home, who would take care mm-hmm. of you. And I had an awesome one who was like a surrogate mom to me. She was, you know, shout out to to Bonnie Carpenter, who fucking ruled. But she you know, she was like a mom. She would be strict with me, but she would also tell me when I was doing really well, and she would say, like, I'm really proud of you." And it was in a way that was kind of different than what I'd uh, experienced and and but I had that, and then I went to college in New York, and nobody's going to hold your hand at a college in New York. And I really mm-hmm. floundered my first semester there. I was sleeping through classes when the classes were at two in the afternoon. Yeah. I was at NYU. Were you NYU?
0: No, I ended up, I, I went to BU. I was kind of. Oh, okay. Um,
1: BU and NYU are very similar.
0: I think. Yeah, I made the wrong choice. BU was terrible.
1: <laughs> but was it?
0: It was terrible. It was, I was just, it was bad. I, you know, I'm older than you. It was like a, it was not a queer friendly city. I was just coming out the film. I I did TV and film there. And I like, it was just a weird, it was bad and weird. And ultimately, like, I have some shame about this because I was waitlisted for Tish. And because of like where I was at, at that place in my life, I was like, no, I had gotten into the BU film program and I was like I'm just going to be you. Like I was like I don't need you. I don't need you. Yeah. I'm not going to wait to find out even though I like had dreamed of going to NYU. To
1: well, finish. I was actually waitlisted at NYU too. My grades were wow. not good. My grades were not good. I was very much I was always told you don't live up to your potential. You don't, you know. And later on people diagnosed me with ADHD, but I also think that Same. I was diagnosed with ADHD in college mm-hmm. which but I think that, like, and and I mean, like, I heard a study once where they said that people in tribal, in, in tribal societies have, the, the rate of ADHD symptoms in them is like 30%, as opposed to oh. in Western society, which is like 10%. So I think that oh. we just have an evolutionary advantage that doesn't fit modern Western capitalist society, essentially. That's you know. Interesting.
0: Yeah. We'd be
1: fucking great on the Savannas or in, you know, in 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 rural Pakistan or something. Like we'd be we'd be great there. But Ooh. you know, if if we were if we were like a nomadic, you know, nomadic peoples, yeah, we'd rule. But we we had um or not rule because a lot of them are egalitarian and different in that way. But you get what <laughs> I mean. I know uh, what we you would mean thrive. the
0: competencies.
1: Yeah. We would yes, thrive. Yeah. we would thrive there because because it's rewarded to to notice things that other people don't. And, mm-hmm. you know, whereas here it's like you're rewarded to be on time. So that might have yeah. been a thing. I mean, I think that my, my dad has a lot of those symptoms, too. But also I had somebody telling me where to go and what to do for all of my life when it wasn't my parents. It was a director.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I got into a relationship And I kind of expected the other person, I expected him to, like, take care of me and help me and guide me. And he was okay with doing that at first. You know, he was a very helpful person. Like, I would say my first serious boyfriend was, like, the best friend character in a romantic comedy. Okay. Or even a romantic drama. The one who's like, what are you waiting mm. for? Go get her. That one. (laughs) The one who's usually a lot funnier and a lot more interesting. The one who ends up with Judy Greer. Yeah, yeah. Like a ducky? like Yes. That kind of, like a straighter yeah. ducky. Yeah, actually, it's okay. funny because I, 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 I've I, said before that, like, you know, I usually tend to be more interested in, in women and, like, people who are fem- on the feminine side of the spectrum, you know. Uh, but when I am interested in, like, cis men, they're all eccentric little dandies. Oh, I really know? understand that. Yes, I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like, ducky I'm also and bisexual and,
0: and I get that 100 yeah. <laughs> yes. percent
1: exactly they all are like yeah they all are like um like like one of my big ones growing up was like cosmo and singing in the rain you know oh who's God. like gene yes. kelly's best friend you know mm-hmm. or like or like riff in uh in west side story except not racist <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? I love that so much. Oh my God. Yes. So, yep, and one it. of my friends mm-hmm. said to me, he said to me, he said, you're a ducky chaser. And I was like, oh my God, I am. That's exactly what it is.
0: Did you watch, you must have, I well, you're, I don't know if this was, this probably wasn't your time, but maybe you watched it on, re- did you watch my so-called life? Were you into yes. the show?
1: I, okay, I just watched it as an adult. <gasps> For the first time? I'd seen it. No. Well, actually, I realized because my brothers would watch it on MTV when I was a kid. So I realized I'd actually seen a lot more of it. Like I'd seen the episode where like they can't find Angela. And I'd seen the episode where like Brian Krakow is over at her house and like there's a bra, you know, hanging from Mm -hmm. something. But I always thought that the cute guy on that show was supposed to be Brian. Really? Yeah. I was not into Jared Leto. But Mm -hmm. then I grew up and I watched it again and I was like, okay, he's kind of he's kind of a nice guy. Personality wise, he's not great. But were you who were you going to say? Were you going to say? um, Well, well,
0: now I need to talk about Jordan Catalano a little bit. But what I was going to say is that Ricky. Like I Ricky Ricky Vasquez is was like so I thought he was so adorable like obviously he was gay but I was like there's something about him meanwhile like I'm super queer and I wasn't out and I was like well that I was attracted
1: to the well my pre school boyfriend. Yeah, my preschool boyfriend was super gay. And so I'm still friends with him and his older sister. But we all joke that like we had the lavender marriage of like Temple Beth Emanuel preschool. (laughs) Oh,
0: my God. I love it
1: so much. Yeah. But yeah, no, Ricky was a big one. Yeah, I would say Ricky. Somebody mentioned to me the other day, they were like, oh, were you into Ricky? And I was like, actually, maybe a little bit like I found him very magnetic. But I also found Brian. I thought Brian was the cute one. And Jordan, I didn't I couldn't remember who Jordan was. Like Jordan was pretty, but the bad boy thing went completely over my head. And Mm. and when Winnie Holtzman made uh made uh Wicked, I was like, I don't get why Fiero is supposed to be the hot guy. He sucks. And then I learned that she made my so-called life, and I was like, oh, okay, she has a thing for the bad boys. The bad boys. I don't get it. Unless the bad boy is like, like, like kind of like Salmoneo in in Rebel Without a Cause, you know, like okay. kind of queer coded. Then, then yes. I'm like, okay, suffering bad in. boy wooby kind. Uh, okay, yeah, then I'm in. But Jordan Catalano, I just didn't get it. He was, I thought he was on the surface yeah. pretty, but it was there was nothing that clicked there.
0: To me, at that time, because I I remember watching it on when they were replaying it on MTV, and I would like mm-hmm. tape it on VHS and then like watch it when I got home from track practice, and it was like. It was the prettiness, you know, like I yeah. felt like it like like Jordan was kind of like once I came out like that look and vibe and kind of like the angsty, tortured, need saving was like yeah. exactly the template for the like mask lesbians that I dated in the my early 20s. You know what I, I mean? I mean, I will
1: say that, yeah, like the androgynous, the more like androgynous people that I've dated, there's definitely like a, you know, there's definitely a quality to them where it's like, oh, okay, you know, I, I get this. Like I've had, I've had lesbians say that like, I've heard lesbians say that like Jack in Titanic was, was like their crush, but Jack Mm -hmm. isn't a traditionally masculine guy. He really isn't. He's artistic. He listens. He's, he's, yeah he's tender. He's very much. Yeah. He's, he's very sweet. And I remember thinking like like I was like, and I remember being like, yeah, there's something about this guy that I like. I wasn't like in love with him the way that like all of my, my girlfriends were, but I remember being like, oh, there's something about him that feels different, you know? And it felt like totally. that, that didn't exist in a lot of men that I met in real life. So yeah. But yeah, a lot of the men that I yeah. meet are like, are like that I, that I like have crushes on now. If I, if I do have crushes on them, they're usually, they're usually queer. Or kind of mm-hmm. gender queer, you know, yeah. or maybe like I, I, you know, I, I date them or something, and then later on they come out and they're like, actually, I'm not a guy, and I'm like, okay, well, I call, I kind of called that one. <laughs> You're like that tracks, yeah, that tracks. So, <laughs> yeah. so that that's that's happened a couple times, but yeah, but I mean, I feel like my 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 college my college boyfriend was was a like you know a cis hetero guy. He was just he was just you know sweet and funny and sensitive. And, you know, he was he was masculine, definitely. But uh but I think that I kind of relied on him for help for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so it was a happy relationship, but ultimately wasn't going to be a very, you know, successful, or not successful, because there's no such way to measure success, but it wasn't going to be it, it wasn't going to be a, a great one, you know, forever. And I had a lot of shame about the way things ended. Because he mm. did the thing that happens to so many people. It, it, it actually happened to all of my siblings. And I have a big family where the partner went away, maybe to study abroad, maybe to go to grad school, to go to nursing school, to, you know, maybe just like took a prolonged vacation. And then when they came back, they were different and mm. broke it off. And maybe it was because they'd found somebody else, which was what happened in my case. I don't think that it really was like physical, but I do think that he met somebody that he connected with and and I was angry and raging and, and so scared and confused and lost because I felt like I would built my life around him. And like I I was dependent upon him and mm-hmm. and he, you know, and he fell in love with someone else, which like that happens. You know, and they ended up getting married. So obviously it wasn't like he was just, you know, messing around with somebody like this was somebody that he really wanted to be with. And at the time, I knew that that happened, but I couldn't accept it happening to me. So I still have a lot of shame about the way that I acted in those years. And I saw him a couple of years ago at a mutual friend's wedding. And we were friendly with each other. But there was a long time where I refused to speak to him. And, and now I'm at a place where like, I feel like I could be friends with him again. And like, I have a feeling that his wife might be a little nervous around me. (laughs) She might think that like, I hate her, but I'm like, we were like 22, 23. Like we were very young. Yeah. And you guys are obviously happy together and you're obviously better suited for each other than he and I were. And I think that I was at the end of it, I wanted to make my own decisions too. And I wanted to live my own life too. And I think that I wouldn't have known how to get out of it. And he, you know, wouldn't have known how to get out of it. And, and there are people, and I've known them who stay in relationships that, that, you know, where they're completely dependent upon that person. But I'm glad that I didn't. And also, I think he sensed the latent queerness. Hmm. Like, I remember him saying to me, if you cheated on me with a guy, I would feel one way. If you cheated on me with a girl, I would feel another way. And it wasn't like, a that would be so sexy, that would be so hot. But I think what he was trying to say, the way I interpreted it is, I would be upset if you cheated on me with a guy, because I would feel like that was a major betrayal of our trust. If you cheated on me with a girl, I wouldn't be like, oh, that doesn't count. But I would be like, oh, this is obviously something within you. Right. You know, that doesn't have something else. Yeah. This isn't like unmet needs. This isn't, you know, unmet needs or you acting out or you, you know, although, I mean, I guess it could have been if I was polyamorous or whatever, but I'm not. You know, he would be like, this is something else, I think. And Mm -hmm. he never explained to me, actually, which one he would be more angry about or which one he would feel about. But that was kind of what I got the sense So it felt like he was kind of hinting that maybe he got the feeling that there was something there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's kind of sweet.
1: Yeah. He was a sweet guy.
0: Yeah. yeah. I have a lot of similar shame about like my first main big relationship, like my main ex-girlfriend that we started Mm -hmm. dating when I was 19. And it's very similar. Like I had no, I was so like disconnected from myself i just like did not know what i was doing i did not know who i was and i hitched my sense of self to her yeah i didn't like being alone me neither and i then was I
1: afraid beh- to be alone
0: oh my god me too it was terrifying to me and then so when someone else becomes your life, dra- life raft like that like the yeah. feeling of desperation i remember every time she broke up with me which was multiple times <laughs> i was like behaved like it was literal life or death like that's how i behaved you know i
1: was like i don't know if he blocked my number or what and i don't think the way he broke up with me was that responsible but i also think that he was you know 23 or 22 and confused and i would but i remember like calling up his uh his thing and then like playing songs onto his voicemail (laughs) Like, like, sad songs, like, like, he was like a really big Beatles fan, which feels kind of adorable Uh to say, but I would like call him up and play like No Reply. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which would sound would sound like would sound crazy, but it's also kind of adorable. The fact that I was playing a Beatles song.
0: Oh my God. Youth is so like, when I think about those kind of things now, like sometimes I still feel shame, but more often I feel just kind of like sweet and tender towards the whole
1: moment of it.
0: Like, You just made me have this memory that is so embarrassing to me. I've never actually spoken this out loud. It's really small, but Mm -hmm. I had, so this girlfriend, there was, she kind of did the thing that you were just talking about where like, we broke up, we got back together, blah, blah, blah. She was like, we're broken up. And then she was like, I'm going to Nicaragua. Mm. And she like went to Nicaragua. And while she was gone, I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to become my own person. Yeah. And- I kind of did. Like I thrived while she was gone. And then she came to the restaurant where I worked in the East Village. Do you remember 7A? That's where I used to work at that time. Oh yeah. 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 So I was I was waitressing there and I had like this was very this was like early aughts. So I had like a little faux hawk and I was like (laughs) feeling myself. And I remember seeing her and intentionally telling myself, like, stand up straight. Like, yeah. like show her like how much you are occupying yourself now. And she commented on it. We were like waiting for the F train and she was like, "Someone standing a little taller. And I was just like, yeah. I went, <laughs> you know, like in yeah. myself. It was so, it's so embarrassing to me to like that. It was so cultivated, what I was trying to show her, but it's also it very so, human.
1: I mean, I remember the first time I got invited to a party with him and his new girlfriend, I, I purposely wore a shirt that showed the most cleavage of my life <laughs> and I saw him there and I saw her there and I suddenly put it together. Cause there was like a girl named, you know, Amy or whatever, not her real name that he had talked about. He was like, yeah, Amy and I've been hanging out. It's really cool. You know, you know, Amy tried to kiss me the other night. That's kind of weird, huh? And like, this girl goes, hi, I'm Amy. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And, but, you know, they were clearly already a couple. And so I, you know, I went to this party and I showed off cleavage and then I went home and had a panic attack. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so like, you know, and I was so mad at him for doing this, but like the bottom line is like, he fell in love, you know, and that happens and people fall in and out of love and people realize that like some, that maybe what they want isn't what they have. And, you know, and maybe you don't handle it the best way, but It's really, it's, it's, I don't know. I I look back on it now and I'm just like, oh, I kind of feel bad for all of us in that situation because what the fuck were we supposed to do? What
0: was, what is anybody doing at that? You're all just trying to figure it out.
1: Yeah. But I did feel like a little bit better. Like a couple of years later, I met uh, one of his favorite authors. And got along with him really well. And there was a part of me that was like, see, you know, I am cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I am an interesting person. I have done all these things. And I remember thinking when I saw him a couple of years ago, I was like, should I be the kind of person who like brags about the cool stuff that's happened to me? And then I was like, no, I'm a fucking adult. I don't need to do that now. And when I saw him, it was just nice. It was just like, I was like, oh, I remember why I dated you because you were very sweet. Mm-hmm. and that did lead to a bit more shame of like, God, the way that I behaved back then. But, but I also think that probably he understands probably yeah. he knows that I was going through some shit.
0: You just cannot behave perfectly at 20 something. No. years old. You just well, that also
1: leads it. me to, you know, my friend who said the least relatable thing I thought about it and I was like, okay, but that friend was also dealing with having a newborn. And, you know, Mm -hmm. they didn't have a support system, really, and they were exhausted and their spouse was like suffering an injury in addition to having given birth. So couldn't take care of the child, you know, and I mean, there's no maternal or paternal leave, but also, you know, when you're a freelancer, there really isn't any, you know, there's no help. I know. So, so, you know, maybe they were a bit more blunt or a bit more rude when they were struggling or suffering. I mean, I know I am whenever I'm having like chronic health flare ups. Like I was talking to a friend of mine recently and I was like, I was like, you know, people who've been public about endometriosis, a lot of them are like celebrities that people find annoying. I mean, not like Whitman. I know Whitman, exactly cool. who you're talking. <laughs> yes, but know you know who, who I'm talking, talking about. about. <laughs> yeah, not not May Whitman, not. Um, oh, what is her name? She's she's on shopped. Uh, she she's talked a lot about having endometriosis. Not them, but there are other celebrities there. And I was like, man, people are going to think that only and I'm. And I kind of include myself in this assessment. I said to her, I said, people are going to think that it's only annoying celebrities that have endometriosis. Oh, my
0: God.
1: (laughs) Because I know I can be annoying, especially on Twitter. Um, And I have a lot of shame about that, too, how annoying I've been on Twitter over the years. Like, surely if I rant about this, people will change their opinions about things and everybody will (laughs) like me. No. But uh, she said, Uh, well, maybe they're annoying because of endometriosis. Mm. And I was like, huh. And I mean, yes, this friend is a social worker. But what she was saying was, if you deal with that much pain on a daily basis, your body is in constant flight or fight mode, you might say or do some weird shit. (laughs) Yeah, that is so true. Yeah. I was like, you know, you make a good point.
0: Yeah. And it's also so like gender bound, that whole idea, like the (gasps) stigma and like the idea that it's like annoying, like people with ovaries and uteruses being like oh my ovaries my uterus (laughs) you know it's like that's so fucked up it's so coded in stigma of all kinds
1: yeah i mean i think that like we're sort of expected like if you have a uterus you're sort of expected to suffer in silence yeah and it, it feels almost like Freudian in a way where it's like internal genitalia means you have to suffer in silence and external genitalia means you have to like deal with your anger you know like a man in this masculine way and so like if you're masculine you're allowed to be angry but that's the only thing you're allowed to be you're not allowed to feel happy sad loving you know that's seen as weak and if you're you know feminine you're not you're you're supposed to you know suffer in silence I think. Glenn and
0: bear it, otherwise yeah, be l- labeled as hysterical. Totally. Exactly.
1: And then, you know, and I mean, if you're like gender nonconforming or gender neutral, you probably just want fucking peace. <laughs> you know, you're yeah. not expected to exist, but, but, yeah. uh, and that's a whole other problem. I think that, that's something you are expected to sort of suffer in silence. And that's actually, there's the the quote from Mad Men, uh, you know, Betty Draper is told, you're painting a masterpiece, don't let them see the brushstrokes. Yeah. And I do think there is something to being civil in public. I think there is something to not telling everybody everything about yourself. You know, I think there is something to, you know, possessing, you know, understanding your trauma before you share it with the world. You -hmm. know, I think that we do know a lot about each other in the world, but I also think that like, and I think that that can sort of put people off in a way too, which is, you know, where we get back to the parasocial thing, because when you know a little bit about something, someone you, I feel like it's sort of an uncanny valley thing where if you know a little bit about someone, you like them, but the more you know about them, the less you like them. Unless you have already established a rapport and a relationship with them, which is why it's sort of like the three, four month rule in a relationship. Right. They contain
0: nuance and like, you're sort of able to see them as a full person.
1: That's about how long it takes to get to know somebody and to know if there's somebody you want to be in a romantic relationship with, or maybe you don't, maybe you don't want them in your life at all. Yeah. But I do think that the internet has sort of, social media has sort of taken away a lot of that where we can because we don't know a lot of these people in real life
0: i know it's
1: we don't really have weird. that relationship with them and we don't see them you know so yeah. i don't know then it gets into what's real what's not and you know i can't I believe know. i started i started this talking about john ham and now i'm talking about you know the uncanny valley of likability. <laughs> i love it i
0: love the journey. Yeah. I- I have, yeah. The thing with your friend, like, is your shame what's kept you from kind of going back and being like, let's repair this? And, and I mean, coming from what you were just saying, like, you were, go- we both kind of didn't act like our best selves, like in how they responded and then how you kind of like
1: shot back. Yeah. Well, now who's unrelatable? Yeah. We've still seen each other. Oh, okay. I thought you hadn't. No, we've still seen each other. That's the oh, thing okay. too is I don't know if they know that they hurt my feelings. And I do remember oh. once we were talking about we were playing like a, a, a you know like a Jackbox game or a game like that or something. One of the questions was like it was something like you know how how would Andy you know how often would Andy hurt somebody's feelings or would Andy hurt somebody's feelings. And I said on purpose or accident. And everybody laughed and mm. they jokingly said fuck you Mara. You know, and I think that maybe they got the sense that like they hurt my feelings at some point, but I was kind of being a dick about them hurting my feelings (laughs) accidentally at some point. So because you haven't told them. Yeah, I haven't. But I also think that I also know that they're a very anxious person and that they were dealing with a lot. And I'm a very anxious person and I deal with a lot. And when I'm very anxious, a lot of times what I do is I talk a lot. I'm overly social, I'm overly, you know, I overshare, like, that's the way that my insecurity is always manifested is, you know, people think that like, people think of like, awkwardness, and they think of like, shy people, I think, but with me, it's Mm. like, no, I'm gonna dominate the conversation. And I'm gonna talk about this. And I'm going to Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've dominated this podcast (laughs) with my conversation, (laughs) too. So I love I'm I'm really have enjoyed talking to you. It's great and yeah, I well, really Jewish relate hosts, to that. I feel like I feel like Jewish hosts if you're if you're like Ashkenazi Jewish, you're probably used to that. <laughs> oh yeah.
0: Oh
1: yeah. So <laughs> Definitely Ashkenazi Jew. But um, yeah, I don't know. Part of me is like do I let it go? Do I acknowledge it? I don't know if they even remember it. That's that's kind of the whole thing yeah. in this in this story is like John Hamm doesn't remember me embarrassing myself in front of him and that person, the the famous person, the famously introverted person I worked with them recently. They didn't seem to remember meeting me at all and didn't remember myself, you know, remember me embarrassing myself. And I remember saying to people like about my college boyfriend, I was like, oh, yeah, Sam probably thinks that I'm crazy because of the way that things ended. And they were like, I don't think that he does. And I was like, really? So I think that's another thing, too, is that sometimes the things that you are really ashamed of. And there's other things that are like deeper, more private things that I feel shame about that I kind of, you know, I'm still processing how to deal with. And I do think that processing things before you share them is a good thing in the age of social media. So, you know, I do think that there are some people who find a lot of joy and creativity in sharing things that are very raw. But I think that for me Mm. and probably for a lot of people, we need to process a little bit more. I don't know. I think that a lot of times the things that you feel shame about, people don't. People are willing to forgive you for or they're willing to at least if not forgive you at least understand or they don't even
0: register it like it's it's not like it's objectively a shameful thing just because you experience it that way and I struggle with this kind of differentiating and then leading that to like what kind of choice do I want to make interpersonally around anxiety as well all the time and I also I know you have OCD because you've talked about it so I also do yeah and I will kind of be like, I feel like sometimes to deepen a relationship and just to be real with someone and have real intimacy, it can be important to be like, I know this was like five years ago, but it's like, I've been holding on to it and I just want to like talk it out. And then I'm like, that became an intrusive thought to me that doesn't actually mean I have to have an interpersonal repair, like the repair is more (laughs) intrapsychic.
1: Yeah, it's confusing. It's really confusing. Well, I think there's like on this part, there's also jealousy because I am, Mm. you know, and envious of this person and the life they have because from the outside, it looks good to own multiple homes, to be with a spouse that's like perfect for you to have like a beautiful, wonderful baby. You know, I know like not everybody wants to get married, not everybody wants to have kids. And, you know, and I'm still kind of undecided about a lot of those things, even as I'm getting older, but like, they seem to do it very well. You know, Mm -hmm. they seem to have Mm -hmm. it in like a very nice way. But you know and to to be critically acclaimed and to be popular and to you know but in a way where nobody's like you know you don't have to worry about wearing makeup in an airport you know yeah yeah because nobody's going to want to take a selfie with you you know while you're right. coming out of the airport bathroom or whatever so mm-hmm. yeah and part of me is like I don't think they know how lucky they have it but that's a relative term you know nobody really knows and there's a lot that I have to be fortunate enough. And maybe they were thinking that I don't know how lucky I am to be hanging out with these, you know, famous people or whatever, even though I don't see it as a big deal. Right. But there's, it sounds like there was so much
0: going on in both of your internal landscapes, like your sort of lens on them and it bringing up the things that you want for yourself that you don't have right now. And it sounds like maybe for them, like something they, and I mean, speaking as a parent, like an artist parent, I mean- Although it sounds like they are in a much better situation than me, but it's like, they might've been looking at you and being like fucking Mara with her like free, awesome life, you know, just like Maybe. going out, yeah, being free, a free adult with all these celebrities, you know, who knows what the projection was. Yeah. And so you might've b- both been in that in a really kind of human way.
1: It's true. I mean, I like, I think like Sarah Silverman said once, baby smile and my uterus aches. Babies cry, Uh and I remember I can take a long, leisurely nap. Oh yeah, I mean there's there's also reason that I related to you know to Ducky and like Cosmo doing um, make them laugh and all these things because I think there is sort of a like theater kid aspect to me where I'm like I got to put on a show, I got to entertain everybody. sometimes people just don't, most of the time, actually, I'd say people don't fucking want that. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: like, oh my God, that's such another layer of the shame then too, right? That you were kind of like, hey, like, I got my tap shoes, I'm going to offer you something. And then they were like, no, that is not what we want. And also, why would you ever think that we want it? You know? Exactly. Exactly. That's hard.
1: It's like the people who would try to do those like 90s, 2000s Cosmo sex trip tricks, you know? Oh, stuff like yeah. like put a donut you know put it put like put a you know put a donut over his manhood and eat it off i'm like well, that just sounds like i mean that just sounds like a yeast infection waiting to happen
0: it sounds like a waste of a very good donut
1: it and... does exactly <laughs> and like i don't find that sexy you know and i don't think i don't think if i had a penis i would find that particularly sexy i would be like oh you're okay you're eating a donut that's cool you know no do do you want to do we want do do you want to give me this do do you want to go down on me because if you do you know if if you really do you 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 can if you don't want to you don't have to like yeah 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 (laughs) i think you know i mean i don't know how i would behave if i had a penis but i that's kind of i assume that it would probably be something along those lines it'd be like oh you know we 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 can do this or we don't have to do this it's kind of you know it's it's definitely up to you but this is a weird this is a weird place in between and it's sticky and uncomfortable
0: it sounds so awkward to me i can't tolerate the image i have such a weird image in my mind right now i don't like it at all
1: apologies apologies for the image (laughs) apologies for the image it's okay i'm gonna i'm gonna let it go i'm just
0: gonna like erase the donut it's gone and the dick um yeah this is so fun and interesting because we use i usually do this with folks at the beginning but we got right into your story so we're gonna we're gonna do it as our little closer which uh we're gonna play the shame game so mm-hmm. i'm gonna i've prepared two scenarios for you both likely evocative of shame mm-hmm. and i'm gonna present them both to you and then i want you to consider which would make you be more likely to have a bigger shame spiral. Okay. And then you can tell me a little bit why. Um, not too much why, because then I have to go get my kids. <laughs> but um, <laughs> here, here yeah. are the scenarios. You're going to a big literary event. It's very important to you. Let's say you've written a new, another new book, and it is mm-hmm. like the launch party. And it's mm-hmm. like the big one before the little ones, you know? And mm-hmm. the book is like... You're more proud of it than you've ever been of anything you've written. And um, the event is very exciting to you. You're dating someone. When I wrote the scenario, I was imagining a woman. So let's just say it's a woman. You're dating Mm -hmm. someone. You like her so much. You're like, it's very new. Like, let's say you've just hit that four-month mark or something. Mm -hmm. But you're quietly inside like, she's the fucking one. Like, I found my shirt. Like, this is it. (laughs) Yeah. And you're so excited. The share. Love it. Yeah. So she comes to the thing. You're doing the reading and something someone asks a question or something that organically brings to mind a moment that you and uh, she have recently shared in your mind, totally innocuous moment, even objectively speaking, I would say there's nothing weird about you sharing it. It makes sense. It goes with the flow of the conversation. It's not super revealing of anything. So you share the event. It's like a cute couple story. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. You're in the car on the way back to one of your places and she's being really weird. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? And she's basically just like so horrified that you would share something personal that happened between the two of you without checking in with her first. This has never come up before. So you don't even know that she would have a feeling about that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And you are so like shocked and scared actually to like lose her, hurt her that you kind of oh that horrible thing happens where you do like the opposite like you're just like defensive Mm -hmm. and then it goes really haywire and ultimately she like breaks up with you like before Mm -hmm. it even got to really be what it could be right so that's scenario one okay i know it's elaborate Mm -hmm. do you feel like you've taken it in (laughs) Yeah, I have. I wish everyone could see the look on your face right now. You're yeah. like really taken in the scenario. I'm taking yeah. it in. Yeah. Okay. So second scenario, same book party. But this time you are having a really bad anxiety moment. Like I don't know if this ever happens to you. Like with my OCD, like I'll just have like a week where – because it's yeah. I, it's pretty stabilized on Zoloft for years, but once in a while it's just not, you know, and I don't know why.
1: Yeah, every now and then you have a, a flare up, and it's like like I had one after I had COVID. So, Mm. but, but what I usually end up doing is I usually end up being like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And then I end up spiraling over. Why is it happening?
0: Of course. Cause what if it never stops? Like it becomes its own. Ooh, I know, I know, I know. So that's happening and you are really freaked out about it. And, and I mean, it kind of escalates because the whole week you're like, it's almost my fucking book party. And like, I cannot be in this space. You're kind of just like Mm
1: -hmm. having a
0: ton of panic attacks and The day of the party, you're like, you can tell as soon as you wake up, you're sort of on the verge of panicking. Mm-hmm. And you know in your heart and in your gut, because you're an adult, you've been through it, you're like, what I need to do is res fucking schedule this book party, even though it will inconvenience everyone and no one's going to be happy with me. And then you kind of like call whoever, your manager, your publicist, whoever you would call. And you can tell that they don't want you to. Like they're doing that Mm -hmm. thing where they're like, if you need to, it's okay. But like, do you think you can like rally? And you, again, know your authentic fucking truth, but you fall into the like good girl trap. And you're sort Mm -hmm. of like, you know what? I can do it. I can do it. And then you get there. You almost fucking cancel last minute because again, your gut is like screaming at you everyone's going to be disappointed. You go along with it and then it goes terribly. Like you like, the reading, I guess, goes fine, but you are like not present at all.
1: You're Mm -hmm. basically
0: panicking and trying to hide it. It's a terrible night for you. It just sucks emotionally. And you know the whole time that you could have avoided it and you could have like listened to yourself and it actually would have been so much better.
1: Mm -hmm. So
0: which of those two would make you spiral more?
1: The first one because the the second one one, i would be i would probably be in a like see i told you so mood (laughs) Mm. (laughs) and and personally i don't think my manager i also know that my manager and my uh my my publicist that i have wouldn't do that because they know about Mm. my health and my mental health so i don't think they would really push it like you know they might be a bit exasperated but they would be like look if you really need to you can that's good i'm glad you have that (laughs) I've also told them before, I need to be better with boundaries. So they always double check with me and they say, are you sure this is something you want to do? And oh. also, I think that people know me as an anxious person. The people who would be coming to like a book reading for me know that I'm an anxious person. I've talked about anxiety. I might even be able to say, look, I'm feeling anxious today. I I, I did have an event that was kind of like that where I was really sick and I traveled to a different country to give a speech, and I never ended up giving the full speech because I was so sick. Ugh. The The good news was it was a mental health organization. So they were very forgiving. <laughs> but then I had another situation like that with another mental health organization, they were not very forgiving. And mm. I but I think that the the interpersonal one and the relationship one, because I think that Recruiting somebody is something i don't want to do and i think that i do have that people pleaser thing and so i do think that i would i would really regret it and i would feel ashamed and i could see myself being like okay do you want me to just never talk about you again okay where's where's the boundary here where's the line here and obviously mm-hmm. she wouldn't be able to answer that because you know really what can you answer and i would i think that that would definitely send me into more of a shame spiral and i've also had that happen where you know, I wrote something about someone and they were like, "Please." they either told me, please don't do this, and I did it anyway, or I didn't know until after that they didn't want me to do it. And oh. the shame that I felt with that, I still feel. Whereas I think about the time, oh, yeah, remember that time I didn't give that speech in that other country. Well, okay, but I was also incredibly sick you know, Oh, remember the time I fell out with this organization or something. Okay. But I was also really not in a good place at that point. And they should have understood my boundaries and they didn't, they didn't respect them. So I think that it would come down to that, you know, and I do think that, you know, I probably am the kind of person where I could get up in front of a stage and be like, guys, I'm sorry, I'm a little off today, maybe not feeling well, but I'm going to do my best. And yeah. depending on who the audience was, they might be, you know, good with it. Yeah. Like if it's if it's a literary event, you know, I I might tell them like, you know, I'm a little off, but I'm going to but I'm going to do this show today anyway. So, yeah, I think definitely the first one, because because I think, you know, hurting somebody is just something that I don't I don't want to do. And and I would hate that I would, you know, and I would probably be like, well, you mess this up. You know, you mess this whole relationship up, you know, that is something that I would do. I think that I feel worse about like hurting friends and family and partners than I do about like embarrassing myself in public because I've embarrassed myself in public before and gotten over it, but I've hurt friends and family and partners before in this way. And I think in some ways you never really get over it.
0: I agree. I would much rather humiliate myself then um hurt someone and then feel the spiraling would be worse for me too like you have ruined something that could have been so good like that's kind of because you're a bad person (laughs) Like
1: that's yeah exactly go yeah I think that that's uh yeah I think that that's what I would what I would be feeling at that point
0: thank you for playing the shame game I really appreciate you staying an extra a few minutes to do it because I really wanted that to happen
1: I'm yeah, thankful. no, my pleasure. <laughs> I mean, it, not exactly the most comfortable situation, mental situations I've through, but it's all good. <laughs> it is.
0: Now I am understanding why I start with this and not end because it is a weird place to end. Let me yeah. ask you
1: one last question.
0: How do you feel right now? I asked you how you felt when we were starting to chat.
1: I mean, I, I do think that I think if this was cathartic in some way, it's funny because I have a feeling I do this a lot with podcasts because I tend to talk a lot. I do have a feeling that maybe later in the day, I'll be embarrassed about something I said. And probably not enough that I'll be like, oh, God, you know, please take that out. But I'll probably be like, oh, did I reveal more of myself than I should have? Did I, you know, but I also look at the kind of people that you have on your show. And they're all like all the people that I was friends with back in New York. Like, mm-hmm. like you had a, you know, jean Margot on recently and you had, uh, did you have Parna on or Abby? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, yeah. you know, all of these people that I'm like, oh, okay. I know, you know, so I know with a, I, I have a feeling of, you know, the kind of people that, you know, Ellie usually interviews yeah. and the kind of people that, uh, will listen to this are the kind of people who are fans yeah. of these people. And, you know, they probably either, know me already or they you know they won't mind
0: (laughs) they'll love it everyone on the show is a messy queen and we celebrate messy queens here
1: (laughs) yeah and also not everybody is going to like you and you're just not for everybody not everybody's gonna like the things you write it won't be for them you know
0: such a hard lesson
1: it is a hard lesson but that's okay it is. And it's so funny
0: what you just brought up, because I usually ask people that at the end, and I had forgotten, like, if you thought there was anything you said that would make you spiral and hard relate, like, it's the worst being a podcaster, because I, I spiral, like, I have to listen to these. And then I'm like, what? There's always mm-hmm. something where I'm like, what is wrong with you?
1: Why did yeah. you say that? Why? Did I mean, you I think that? I was pretty fair to, to my to my ex boyfriend. I wasn't like he cheated fair. on me, because I don't even think he did. I think that he thought she was just a friend and then was like oh <laughs> you were very fair i mean i i talked about all of my siblings and i getting broken up with the same way but i also think that that's and i don't want to embarrass my siblings but i think that that's a very common thing definitely where somebody you're you're dating somebody maybe high school college they go away you know or maybe just out of college or if you don't go to college you know in your early 20s and then maybe they move or they start a new job or they do something or they travel somewhere they see a different part of the world and you go to a different part of the world even if it's just two towns over
0: and things change you find a different part of yourself and it's like mm-hmm. you you're also learning how to facilitate an ending and mm-hmm. it's like so much easier when you're young to have that do it for you
1: yeah you know exactly yeah
0: Well, Mara, it was so delightful to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on. It was awesome.
1: Yeah, lovely talking with you too.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shame Spiral. You can follow the pod at Pod Shame Spiral on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all the usual places. This episode was edited by myself and Sarah Gabrielli. And original music was by Shadwick Wild. Please keep listening and rate and review if you're feeling generous. I have so many exciting guests lined up for our season. Thank you again for joining us and spiral on, but not too much, okay?